0: City, WLCC, Brandon.
1: Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa
0: app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: Now I want to show you something about Galatians 5.24 that is very critical to understand. And I think when you see it, it'll help you to to know what Paul is really teaching about overcoming our fleshly desires. I want you to notice exactly what the apostle has written here about crucifixion. This is the first step in Bible study. It's called observation. I want you to observe something. I'm going to read verse 24 again. I want you to observe what he's saying. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is different than everything else we have read about crucifixion. It's different than Romans 6, it's different than Galatians 2.20, and I'm going to show you why.
2: The expository method of teaching by Pastor Steve Kreloff really helps us to understand the correct interpretation of Scripture. Steve will be bringing the middle part of a three-part discussion on the topic of The Conflict Between the Flesh and the Spirit as he continues his study from Galatians chapter 5 verses 24 through 26 on our next Verse by Verse program. Thank you for being in class today. This is Verse by Verse coming to you from Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been ministering there since 1981. He is presently in the middle of a part of his last message on this portion of scripture. These three studies are part of his series of eight messages from Galatians chapter 5. Let's get into class now. Here is Pastor Steve.
1: Now, in the verses that follow, which we've already looked at, Paul speaks about the intensity of this battle for sanctification by explaining the internal struggle that's going on inside of... Every true believer, he tells us we have two warring factions and factors fighting it out within us. We have the indwelling spirit who opposes the evil deeds that our flesh wants to do. And we have our flesh opposing the fruit of godly attitudes that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. It's what he says in verse 17. And as if to prove his point, Paul speaks of, and he contrasts these two opposing factors by mentioning in verses 19 through 21, some, not all, but some of the evil deeds of the flesh. And then in verses 22 and 23, he mentioned some, not all, of the righteous fruit, those attitudes that come and are produced by the Holy Spirit. But now that Paul has explained that the way to keep the flesh from doing these evil deeds is by walking in the Spirit with the result being that not only will we not gratify the lust of the flesh, but we will bear the fruit of the Spirit, Paul's ready to move on. He's ready to move on and tell us about a second key truth concerning sanctification, which is, in addition to walking in the Spirit, we must crucify the flesh. Notice verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul states that those who belong to Christ, meaning, all those who are saved, all those who have placed their trust in Jesus alone for their salvation. Every true Christian, he says, have crucified, we've crucified the flesh. What does he mean by this? And specifically, what does it mean to crucify the flesh? And when did this happen to us? Paul says in verse 24, it already happened. We've done it. When, when did this take place? First of all, we need to understand that in using the term crucify, Paul's referring to the way by which someone in his day was executed by the Roman authorities. They were crucified. In Roman times, the most disgraceful criminals, not all, but the most shameful, disgraceful criminals were put to death by crucifixion. That's why it was such a horrible way for Jesus, the sinless son of God, to die. So to crucify the flesh means to kill it, to execute it, to put it to death. In the wonderful words of the King James Version to mortify it, it's a great word, mortify the flesh, kill it. But notice, notice that Paul says that all who are Christians have already crucified the flesh. See, the verb here is in the past tense, meaning that this event of our crucifixion already taken place, already taken place. How can this be? Because if we have already crucified the flesh, then why are all those fleshly desires still so active in us? In other words, if our flesh is already dead, then why is there a war going on inside of us constantly? That war in which the desires of the flesh still want to be gratified, and they're fighting for supremacy over the desires of the Spirit of God. Listen very closely. The Bible teaches that at our conversion, our old self was crucified because at conversion, we became United with Jesus Christ. And since he was crucified, we are considered crucified too. Paul very plainly says this in two places in particular Romans chapter 6, verse 6, when he says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away, done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. He also said, essentially, the same thing about crucifixion in right here in Galatians 2.20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So at salvation, we died by way of crucifixion so that our old unregenerate sin nature with all of those fleshly desires was executed, executed. And we became new creatures in Christ with a brand new divine nature. However, when Paul uses the analogy of crucifixion, he can't possibly mean that when we became believers, there was a total death to our fleshly desires. He can't possibly mean that. Because those desires, as you very well know, are very much alive, and they're kicking in all of us. If Paul meant total death so that we no longer are inclined to sin anymore, he would be contradicting everything that he's just writing here. In fact, he'd be contradicting everything in the, in the New Testament. In fact, let me take it a step further. There would be no need to teach anything about sanctification in the New Testament if that were the case if this death was in an absolute sense, so that we have no, lo- no more sinful desires. No, what Paul means by our crucifixion is that the power of our old sinful selves and nature was broken when we were saved so that sin no longer dominates us as it once did. Sin no longer reigns supreme over us as it once did so that we were, we were enslaved to sin. We had to sin. We had no choice in the matter. But listen, though we are not dominated or enslaved to sin anymore as as people who have been set free as believers in Christ, we still have ongoing struggles with our fleshly desires because we continue to be fallen creatures awaiting absolute perfection when we come into the presence of our Lord. I like the way John MacArthur explains this situation. He writes this. The flesh with its passions and desires is dead in the sense of no longer reigning over us or holding us in inescapable bondage. Like a chicken with its head cut off, the flesh has been dealt a death blow, although it continues to flop around the barnyard of earth until the last nerve is stilled. Listen, what the New Testament teaches is that once we become Christians, we are no longer in bondage to sin. We've been set free from having to obey our fleshly affections. We have a new nature. That new nature has new godly desires, and we have the indwelling spirit who enables us to obey those godly desires. But though sin no longer reigns over us, we are still tempted to sin, because in the words of MacArthur, we still have those fleshly passions and desires flopping around like a chicken with its head cut off. And because they are still flopping around, we have to make sure that we crucify those desires, those flopping desires every single day. That appears to be the point that Paul is making here in Galatians 5.24. Now, I want to show you something about this verse that is very critical to understand. And I think when you see it, it'll help you to, to know what Paul is really teaching about overcoming our fleshly desires. I want you to notice exactly what the apostle has written here about crucifixion. This is the first step in Bible study. It's called observation. I want you to observe something. I'm gonna read verse 24 again. And I want you to observe what he's saying. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified Christ the flesh, with its passions and desires. That is different than everything else we have read, or I've just read to you about crucifixion. It's different than Romans 6. It's different than Galatians 2.20, and I'm going to show you why. Notice that unlike the other New Testament verses that speak of our crucifixion as something that has been done to us in the sense that we have been crucified with Christ, Paul here in Galatians 5.24 speaks of us being the ones doing the crucifixion. He says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. In other words, Paul describes this crucifixion of the flesh as something that we've done to ourselves. We did it rather than something that has been done to us. We are the ones who are said by the apostle to have crucified our flesh rather than somebody else doing that to us. Now, why is that important? Watch this. It would appear that what Paul is talking about concerning the crucifixion of our flesh is that aspect of our conversion known as repentance. Repentance. When in coming to Christ, we turned our backs on our old sinful ways, we broke with our sinful past by renouncing our selfishness and self-centeredness, as well as all of the particular sins we were aware of at that time. It's exactly what happened to us at salvation. We repented. In essence, we crucified our flesh by putting to death those sinful desires that once were so important to us and once so controlled us As we turned away from our old way of life, Jesus himself referred to this death to self as denying of self. He spoke of it many times using the imagery of crucifixion. For example, in Mark 8.34, he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, if you want to be one of my followers, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a true disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In this analogy, Jesus is saying that every one of his followers must act like a condemned criminal by carrying his own cross to the place of execution and there crucifying himself and his fleshly desires. Now, this is precisely what we did when we were converted. You may not have articulated it this way, you may not have thought of it exactly this way, but in essence, this is what we did because we said death to our old way of life as we repented of our sins meaning we changed our minds and we turned from our, our sinful lives and we turned then to Christ trusted him as Lord and Savior. That's what happened. We said, no, we turned our backs on our old way of life, but because sin is still a very present reality in our lives. Repentance is something that we do as a way of life. Every day of our lives, we have to deal with our fleshly desires that still want to be gratified. Now, In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said something very similar to what I just read to you about take up your cross and follow me, except he added something. He added something. He told his disciples, take up your cross daily, daily, not a one-time execution, but every day, take it up. Folks, it appears that's precisely what Paul is, is talking about here in Galatians 5, 24. It's what Jesus said, take up your cross daily even though you crucified the flesh at your conversion, if you're going to have victory over your present fleshly desires, then you have to continue to crucify the flesh every day with all of its passions and all of its lusts. That is to say, we have to consciously, every day of our lives, many times during those, the, the day, make an effort to put to death those fleshly desires By denying ourselves, just like we did at our conversion, we have to consciously and continuously turn away from those sinful desires, and we renounce them so that they are not gratified and grow into sinful actions. Now, this is what Paul taught here, but he he taught it at other places in the New Testament. So it should not be surprising that we'd see this show up in a passage specifically dealing with sanctification. Where did he teach this in other passages? Romans chapter eight. Notice Romans chapter eight, verse 13. Paul said, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's saying all true believers, this is what they do. They put to death the deeds of the body. and you're a real Christian and you live. He wrote in Colossians 3 5, Therefore put to death the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. There, Paul said specifically, put to death those members, mortify the flesh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 25, Paul says, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul said he kept his body under control through discipline, which certainly involves saying no to fleshly desires. Otherwise, he said, Though an apostle, it doesn't matter. The Lord's going to put me on the sidelines. I'll be disqualified like an athlete who can't compete in the rules. You do not If you don't stay within the rules, you're disqualified. Paul said, I'd be a disqualified servant because of my sin. Therefore, I discipline myself. I say no to fleshly desires. So here, folks, is the real question we need to get an answer to. If Paul is saying that he wants us to continuously crucify our flesh, and put to death its sinful desires. How in the world do we do this? How do we do this? How do we actually go about mortifying the flesh? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts to help help you to put those fleshly desires to death. I would encourage you to take notes. This is why we put in your bulletin a place to take notes. You're not gonna remember this if you don't take notes. First of all, if you are going to crucify your flesh, then you have to hate your flesh. You have to hate it. You have to hate your sin enough to crucify it. You have to keep in mind how utterly repulsive and wicked and evil your fleshly desires really are. You have to hate those ungodly desires and see them for the wicked nature that's theirs. You see, in keeping with the analogy of crucifixion, only, as I said before, only the worst criminals in the Roman Empire were Executed this way, crucifixion was not for the nice people of Roman society, but for the low lives, for the scum of that society, therefore don't look upon your flesh and its desires with pity don 't pity it at all, as if those desires have some redeeming qualities, some redeeming virtues, and ought to be treated with a little courtesy and respect no don 't treat them at all with respect; they are shameful desires, wicked desires. That if not put to death, they will rise up and grow into deeds of adultery, other sexual misbehaviors, idolatry, strife, outbursts of anger, jealousy, drunkenness. They will ruin your life. They will ruin your marriage. They will ruin your family's existence. That's all the flesh wants to do. Don't give it any courtesy. Don't give it any respect. See your flesh for what it really is and kill it. Murder it by repentance, or else it will cause you great spiritual ruin and regret. So hate your flesh so much that you want to crucify. And you know what will help you to hate your flesh? See the holiness of God. Look at the holiness of God. You look at the holiness of God and the purity of Jesus Christ, the purity of God the Father, God the Spirit, and you will hate your sin. Secondly, if you're going to crucify your flesh and its desires, and you have to be decisive about it, you cannot be tentative about this. You can't think this thing through. You, you can't waffle. You can't have any doubts about whether you want to do this or not. In other words, you cannot entertain any thoughts that it, it just might be an option of whether I want to let these desires live and develop into sinful actions. There's no option. They have to die. Otherwise, you'll be undone. Listen, when you initially came to faith in Christ, you were decisive about your repentance. You knew that you wanted to turn your back on everything you were aware of that was sinful and wrong. And you knew that you wanted to embrace Christ. You didn't do this in a halting manner. You were decisive. Well, you have to be just as decisive and certain about taking up your cross daily to execute your fleshly desires. Now, you can't spend time thinking this through, trying to decide whether or not you're really gonna, gonna dwell on those fleshly thoughts or else you will find some way because sin is so deceptive you will twist things in, around you will find some twisted way to justify and rationalize your sin that's what happens when you entertain them you'll come up with something sin is deceptive satan is deceptive you just have to be firm and decisive in making up your mind that you're going to put your flesh out of its misery by saying no to it daily. Don't have any pity on the flesh. Be decisive and kill it. I love the way John Stott explained this decisiveness in putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Here's what he wrote The first great secret of holiness lies in the degree and decisiveness of our repentance. If besetting sins persistently plague us, it's either because we have never truly repented or because having repented, We have not maintained our repentance. It's as if having nailed our old sinful nature to the cross, we keep wistfully returning to the scene of its execution. We begin to caress it, to long for its release, even to try to take it down from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our minds, we must kick it out at once it is fatal to begin to examine it and consider whether we are going to give into it or not. We have declared war on it. We are not going to resume negotiations. We have settled the issue for good. We are not going to reopen it. We have crucified the flesh. We are never going to remove the nails. So do not resuscitate your flesh. Don't bring it down from the cross. Leave it there. Don't make any provision for the flesh. Just continue, folks, to let it die. And you do that by repenting when you are tempted to gratify your flesh. Now, so far, we've seen that Paul has revealed two key truths concerning our battle for sanctification. If we are going to overcome our fleshly desires, he says, number one, you must walk by the Spirit. Fill your mind with biblical truth. Number two, we must crucify the flesh daily, kill it. But now the third and final truth Paul gives about sanctification is that in order to overcome our fleshly desires, we must follow the path of the Holy Spirit. Follow the path of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, Paul tells us here, and if we live by the Spirit, and in the original Greek text, the assumption is that we do. If we live by the Spirit, we do. We live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. We do that, we live by the Spirit, because we are Christians. Christians have all been made alive by the Holy Spirit, and he is the source of our life. So the assumption is this is exactly what is true in our lives. Then, since we live by the Spirit, Paul tells us we are to walk by the spirit
2: in our next class on verse by verse pastor steve will wrap up this message on the conflict between the flesh and the spirit part three plan to be here with us you may order a cd that includes all three parts of this message without interruptions by calling verse by verse at 727-239-0306 please feel free to call us if you have any questions about this program or any questions about the Bible. We are here to serve you and to help you in your walk with Christ. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are supported by interested friends like you who have first been faithful to their own local church. You may give to the ministry by calling us at 727-239-0306 You may give online at versebyverseradio.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Your prayers and financial gifts are vitally
0: important to the